This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Scooter Oyama. He started out just being a DJ at this like uh, Lavelle School for the Blind. And he found out, he brought a bunch of his uh, friends that were beatboxers in and the kids were just so engaged and like lit up, you know, and a lot of them were working on speech stuff. And they found that um, uh, they had speech therapists there as well. And when they started to let the kids beatbox, um, they felt like, you know, they're seeing improvement. The kids, you know, were wanting to practice. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like the music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today. And you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for being here today. I have an awesome conversation um, from between myself and Scooter Oyama, who is a speech language pathologist, a musician, and he, with an awesome team, is tying together the music and speech world, specifically through the medium of beatboxing. So, when he initially reached out to me, I thought this is an amazing project that they have uh, started. It is going to be a phenomenal resource for SLPs and music therapists and a great opportunity for our professions to collaborate. And so that's a lot of what this conversation is. We kind of went back and forth with our knowledge from my music therapy background and his SLP background, different ways to use this program, as well as incorporating beatboxing into our sessions, and then just like lots of other creative ideas and uh, conversation along the way. So I thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I hope you enjoy it as well and get a lot out of it. As always, links to everything will be in the show notes. And if you or someone you know is interested on being in the show in general, reach out to me. But if you also know of people doing amazing things like this, super cool projects, being dynamic, trying something new, collaborating, creating in general, then please reach out. I would love to have you on the show and hear about what you're doing and share it with the listeners. So... For today, uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Scooter. All right, Scooter, welcome to (laughs) the Music Therapy Chronicles. Trisha, nice to meet you. So happy to be here. I'm really glad you're here too, because you actually reached out after listening to the show. You want to tell the listeners like who you are, what you do. It could be about your um, professional life or it could be unrelated. Sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Scooter and I am a SLP um, and a musician and um, a super amateur beatboxer. (laughs) And I do research as well. I'm a research coordinator. So um yeah I just have always been interested in I think the intersection between those things so I was like a cog sci 
and music undergrad at UCSD. And I worked in like a co music cognition lab. Um, I was a touring musician. And then like I went back to grad school and then the speech path thing. Um, and I, I don't think I knew music therapy was an option at the time, but I totally would have been into it. Um, but yeah, since then, just kind of always have been sort of interested at like the intersection of those different places. So the brain, language, therapy, music. Um, so now I'm, I'm working with, um, I'm working creating like a beatboxing curriculum for, um, for speech therapy. Um, and I'm excited because it kind of combines a lot of those things together and it, it, it's really solving some, some cool problems. For, for kids so yeah yeah there's um obviously I'm a podcaster podcasty so I was listening to a podcast a long long time ago I don't even remember which one it was and they were talking about how we as music therapists should make more of an effort to look into music neuroscience and like speech and music and sometimes we feel like we have to defend what we do and we mm. don't take the time to learn about how other people are using music and how that could help us instead of like putting us on the defensive so mm. I love that you have like this whole other vision perspective that you can give us um, and for the people listening hopefully they're the type of people who are going to take all this and be like this is great information not <laughs> Oh, it's not music therapy specifically, you know, like we don't need that here. But so I am really excited to, to learn from you today. Oh, well, I'm, I'm definitely going to learn some stuff as well. So I'm excited to be here and that's so cool. Um, yeah, I really, I think music, uh, just music has so many different functions mm -hmm. and it's cool to just continue to explore, um, because, you know, it's been around for, you know, since the beginning of of man really and just like we're just starting to realize kind of scientifically what it does and what it's useful for i mean like there's so many old like kind of evolutionarily quote unquote old reasons for making music like social cohesion and like you know i guess the building building things together they would like you know do a song to make things, you know, uh, work better and faster and more efficiently and like combine, um, like kind of create, a, a way for a group to rally together. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, I might get this wrong, but you said you worked in like a music cognition lab. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, what the heck does that mean? What was that like? Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so this is Dr. Creel's lab at UCSD. Um, and so this was back when I was an undergrad and at the time we were working on, um, I was just, you know, like a undergrad helper essentially, but, um, <laughs> since then I've done other research, which has been really cool, but that was sort of my first, uh, foray into, into music research. And, um, at the time we were working on, oh man, kind of picking my brain here. Um, it was like a study that was analyzing spatial, like our spatial embodiment in music. And that comes from like uh, an old, not an old, but uh, like a language paradigm where they um, figured out that when we say certain words, like we actually, um, inter like we, when we say like a verb, like run, we do that action in our body in a way, mm -hmm. like our brain actually like recreates that action. And so what that, um, how they showed that was that um, when you, when you say something that goes in a particular direction, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but if you like, you know, um, if you have to say something about your hand moving forward, but then you're told to like move your hand backwards, there's like this like weird effect that you do it a lot slower because it's like this, um, uh, conflict in your brain but if you are told to like say something about your hand moving forward and then also make your hand move forward like it's it's much easier and so they actually showed that in um music musical pitch so when there's like pitch pitches that go from like a low pitch to a high pitch and you had to like touch from a high point to a low point it was much it was it was slower for you to do that so there's like this level of embodiment when we listen to music um that it, it's kind of weird. There's this analogy from like low to high where it's actually like in your brain, you're, 
um, moving in this particular direction spatially. Yeah. So, yeah. So cool. I'm thinking about, um, as, as music therapists, we're often, when we're making music, we're taught to kind of use that, like, hey, use the music to give the directive more than the words per se. And it's the same thing. Like, if I want you to stand up, I'm going to sing a song with an ascending melody, blah, blah, blah. And there are some times where I think we forget that because it it feels so simple or it yeah. can be so easily overlooked, but it's so powerful. Um, totally. And you're, you're explaining that. Yeah, it's super powerful. It's so deep too. You know, mm -hmm. there's this. Um, uh, I was reading this thing about you know emotions, and um, I don't know if you, you do you know about like the mirror neuron system. Yes. Uh, yeah. So like, there's so when we you know see an action, we sort of do that action in our head. Well, mm -hmm. when we like listen to music, there's a certain level of imitation um, that's going on in the mirror neur neuron system. But it's happening at this like deeper level. So when you hear an emotion in music, it's almost like you you're so moved by it that you try to imitate it. And like in in this like abstract imitation of music, whatever it does or whatever it is, like you you embody or you um, you feel this emotion too with it. Um, and hopefully, I'm not sounding crazy. This is no, 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 no. This is me jet lagged in Japan. By the way, for all the listeners, <laughs> I'm so jet lagged. Uh, and it's 2 a.m. But um, yeah. and we really appreciate you being here. Of course. <laughs> and rallying for Honor. us. I'm rallying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have two thoughts and I always say this. Yeah. I'll try to remember both. One of them, I remember, I don't know if I read it or saw it in a documentary or where, but the, it was talking about how when a musician uh, watches another musician perform or whatever, if they have knowledge of that instrument, their body and brain will do what you're saying it, they will mirror the person playing so like if I heard someone play the trumpet my mouth would start like saying oh this is what they're the embouchure they're using to make those sounds or if I heard someone playing the guitar I'd think like oh this is the strumming pattern that would use and so what you're saying is it's even it's like that plus emotion which is really cool my other thought it will come back to me ah oh, snickerdoodles <laughs> I lost it. I lost it, but it had to do with the emotion and the mirror neurons. Oh, yeah, no. I, I'm more jet lagged I, than you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that point about, um, uh, I had, I had not connected, but it, it makes total sense when you watch, you know, someone doing something that you know how to do, you sort of have this higher, like, I, I suppose it's like a higher resolution. Um, Ooh. like, uh, it's like a higher resolution, imitation right yeah. because you know exactly what's going on. you know the mechanics of it you know how to play guitar like me too i'm a guitarist so mm -hmm. um it, and it actually like when i listen to music um even sometimes it gets in the way of like enjoying it the first time yeah. because i'm like oh they're doing this thing like i'm just labeling the whole time and i'm like yes. you know trying to do it in my head like oh they're playing you know uh oh, the melodic minor scale right here whatever so um yeah my yeah. other thought came back to me. Uh, do yes. you know what the ISO awesome. principle is? I don't. What's that? Okay. So the ISO principle, most music therapists will probably know this, but it basically, you're talking about emotion. We can hear the music and uh, identify with the emotion. So the ISO principle says that we need to meet people where they're at, or we will cause that cognitive dissonance. So, uh. you know, if you could picture this with a baby, if a baby is crying, you're not just going to like slowly rock it you're gonna shake it up and down or you go shh it's okay it's okay like you're yeah. matching your energy yeah. to them and so when we are using music in sessions it's important that we are matching the client where they're at even though that's so not where we cool. want to be so you're using exactly what you said you're using that connection we're connecting their emotions so like oh you're feeling this cool i'm gonna play this now maybe you're like really high you're anxious you're you're agitated you're frustrated okay i'm gonna meet you there and then we're gonna use the music to slowly bring you down to calm because your brain is picking up on the emotions the music is putting out and eventually we'll get there instead of you know trying to do two very different totally. levels of emotions at the same time so i love that you we're reinforcing what, what we know as a profession, but it's, it's to me very validating when other professions validate what we already know. <laughs> Cause it's like, we're not just looking for the answers we want to have. Other people are yeah. finding the answers. Yeah. yeah, totally. That's so important. 
um, it's easy to get stuck in like an echo chamber and, um, yes. but that's so cool. The ISO principle. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about like, um, I, I took a cold shower, like a little bit <laughs> earlier to like wake up, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. that's really shocking feeling and not pleasant at all. <laughs> and I imagine it's a lot easier, just an easier way into stuff. And, um, yeah, I think that that relates to like kind of, um, I mean, I think I would imagine, does that relate to like rhythmic entrainment? And maybe I understand this principle wrong, but um, like when uh, when you kind of sync, when, when a lot of people are making the same rhythm together and you're tracking it and like you're, um, like a lot of this social cohesion is happening because you're sort of able to, um, I mean, literally be on the, like kind of the same wavelength as everyone else. Um, like you're, you have this common goal of like creating this rhythm and you have to like track everyone else's um, performance and like where things are happening. You have to do all this coordination. And then when you mu make music with other people, they, they also show that, you know, there's this huge release of like um, different, you know, this is a, I guess, total oversimplification, but you know, there's all these like neurotransmitters that are released, like, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, all these feel good chemicals and bonding chemicals. And so, um, like, I imagine if you were, uh, like if someone's feeling, uh, you know, I, I guess it's like when you, when I go to the gym, you know, I don't want to listen to like really slow music. My body's like in this like mode where I want to listen to you know, fast, fast music. So like if you're doing something in a, like trying to entrain everyone rhythmically and then you, you know, someone's like just woke up from a nap and then you like start going crazy. <laughs> like I'm sure like they're not going to be able to uh, join into that rhythm as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you're saying with community connection, one, because music is a global experience. So we're incorporating the whole brain while we're having, say, this community music experience. You're at a concert, you're at a community drumming, whatever you're doing. Uh, and then because it is so multi-sensory, you're connecting with everyone on all of those senses at the same time. Just like you said, you're all in training to the same thing. Um, the instrumental podcast, she did did an episode where she she takes research and then like breaks it down in ways that we can use it in our everyday life. And so yeah. one of the oh, she talked about this. Yeah. She was yeah. like, if you have, you know, a big corporate meeting or something, um, start with like a rhythmic experience <laughs> and suddenly everyone's going to be a little bit more uh, engaged oh, and right. with each other totally. to start out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember yeah. that episode. Like she was also talking about, um, I think like a, a women's soccer game or something like that. Where it's been a while since yeah, I listened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. All right. So let's tie this into everything you're doing. Cause you mentioned beatboxing, both that you do and what you're creating. Tell us all about it. All the things. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so we're going through a rebrand right now, but it was called alpha beat. Um, and we, uh, so I'm, Part of this team called Beat Global. They they're based in um, New York, and they're um, a nonprofit organization that um, basically helps provide different types of programming, like sp specifically hip hop programming for um, kids with disabilities. And um, James, like the founder, he started out just being a DJ at this like uh, Lavelle School for the Blind. And he found out, he brought a bunch of his uh, friends that were beatboxers in and the kids were just so engaged and like lit up, you know, and a lot of them were working on speech stuff. Mm. And they found that um, uh, they had speech therapists there as well. And when they started to let the kids beatbox, um, they felt like, you know, they're seeing improvement. The kids, you know, were wanting to practice, you know, where that's, that's a, probably the primary problem today in speech and speech therapy. I don't know if it's similar. I know it definitely for music lessons as kids, but I don't know if it's similar music therapy, but like one of the biggest um, the issues in speech therapy is that traditional methods are just aren't engaging at all. Mm. And, you know, like kids don't want to sit down and do flashcards. Um, I worked in the schools for six years and kids attention spans were terrible at the beginning already, but like waned even more um, 
across those that five-year period and i just think as we are getting more as a society in entrenched in social media and like you know i so, so many family dynamics where the the parent is just like giving the ipad to the kid you know and then that's all they do all day um it just was harder and harder to get kids to practice speech sounds and with beatboxing i would just show up do a beatboxing pattern and they'd get so excited i'd see the kids just like light up like oh, i want to do that you know it's like this kind of inherently cool thing um and so um kids were you know uh, we've seen a bunch of kids even in, in the short time that we've had this product out where, you know, the, the parent has a child with an IEP with just some speech sound problems, won't practice. Then suddenly they're beatboxing and they're practicing like nonstop all the time. And then they don't need IEPs anymore because they're just, you know, they're just so tuned into practice. So I think that's the primary kind of, um, the primary cool thing about beatboxing is that it's just this motivating thing that it gets kids to to practice a lot and you can you know get a ton of repetitions in in like this mm -hmm. very short span of time um yeah, yeah. and i think yeah go ahead sorry uh the, i'm thinking so music i often to explain you know sometimes people see the value sometimes they don't and i say music is repetitive it's adaptable and we can make it client preferred and you're doing those three things like you know totally. you're saying it's engaging because it's a preferred activity um and for lots of people incorporating music is a great way to do that so yeah tell us tell us what you're gonna say oh yeah i'm just um, I love too that it's like <clears throat> you're not just practicing. It's not just like flashcards, but you're learning a skill at the same time. You're learning a music musical skill, so it's yes. like this cool thing you could jam with your friends. You know, you have this way to interact with people like uh, musically. Um, and I think learning any skill, um, you have this different sense of. Uh, so in speech therapy, a lot of people. Um, they have this idea of like speech as like just something that emerges. It's like, you know, when you grow your hair as a baby, like you just start <laughs> to speak. Um, and so I think when you learn skills, you realize that, oh, speech is, it's a skill. Like there's a reason why we call them speech skills. And, um, you know, just because you send your kid to piano lessons, for example, but they don't practice or do anything, like doesn't mean that they're going to develop the skill of playing the piano like you know you have yeah. to you have to practice and you have to use it in context and you have to understand what goes into a skill um like the building blocks of of any skill like you know uh, so you play guitar i play guitar like you know there's you have to learn how to make a note with your with both hands and like make it ring out and like arch your fingers in a particular way like there's all these building blocks of, of the skill and and then you have to make them uh, come together in context of a song um etc cetera, etc cetera. and so um i think just just that like emphasis on skill building is i think a cool way it's a bit bit of a stretch but like i think it's important to know that like just like just like uh beatboxing or just like a musical instrument like speech is also a skill that you need yeah. to practice and luckily the building blocks of speech and language and the building blocks of beatboxing are like they overlap so that's yes. why there's this cool thing happening yeah um yeah you do not have to convince me that speech is a skill <laughs> not because i had an iep or needed speech uh therapy but i took spanish for um all through high school and into college and i thought i was pretty decent like you know i i could understand more than I could speak, but I thought it was pretty good. Uh, and my partner is Hispanic and his family gets a kick out of my inability to roll R's. Completely <laughs> cannot roll R's. I didn't grow up hearing rolled R's. I wasn't, you know, in my nice white school where I learned Spanish. No one was really enforcing that. So that's a speech thing that I'm like, as an adult, I don't practice it ever. If I did, I'd probably be decent at it. But that's a speech thing that comes very naturally to them, does not come naturally to me. Um, and I'd be interested to hear some rolled R's and beatboxing. <laughs> yeah. 
there are some really cool beatboxing stuff. That's funny that I, I learned how to roll ours so late in the game, but yeah. same thing, you know, I didn't grow up with, with, uh, rolled ours. Although I think my first words were Spanish, oddly enough, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think they do have rolled ours in like, they do some sorts of interesting beatbox sounds. Um, when you do like the IPA, the phonetic alphabet for um beatbox sounds a lot of them are kind of tuned up like cool sounding speech sounds like they overlap yeah. but um instead of um like when you make a bass a, a kick drum sound people often use the b but it's actually technically like a like a sound that um you don't use any of your um your air uh so mm -hmm. it's all uh, intra oil intra oral pressure that you're building up it's a in your mouth like intra and oral like in your mouth it's just the pressure in your mouth versus uh like in a b where you're you know yeah. using your lungs yeah so, so i have a visual can i try to explain it for the listeners and you can tell yes. me if I'm, what i'm visualizing is correct okay so the sound that you're making that is the correct sound is like your lips are between your teeth and you're like pushing them out and versus the b yes. which is like your lips squeezed together did I get that right? Yeah, that, that's I've not thought about that before. They're between right, my so teeth. Versus B. Yeah, I don't know. You got it. I mean, that's, that's like right. Yeah, it's the mic doesn't pick it up really well. I've tried to beatbox on a bunch of calls and it, it just doesn't work very well. But yeah, um, yeah, that's a, that's perfect. And you can notice like you're, instead of using your um, lungs i suppose to like create the air for the sound like you're just using the pressure build up in your mouth so i think yeah. that's where the that's where the um lips going in on the teeth comes from it's because you're creating yeah. that tighter seal yeah. yeah i'll have to think about that i'm also you're reminding me of an episode i did a long time ago i will try to link it um gosh i don't even remember who it was at this moment but she was talking about how when we are working on speech, it's important that our consonants, when we model them, don't have vowels after them. So if I'm saying like C, it's not K, because then the word cat becomes K at, and it's not, it's mm. at. So what you just did with the, the interoral non-B, semi-B sounding yeah, sound yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, is reminding me of that. It's like, it's almost like you really have to just take that consonant at its most pure form yeah and it like also um it it can increase intelligibility because um you know you're really like making this loud sound a lot of beatbox sounds they call them adjectives because they they're like just they're like more forceful like versions of, of regular speech sounds yeah. um but yeah that's so interesting it, so i'm in japan now and like in japanese like they actually don't have any straight consonant sounds like the entire alphabet is that every consonant is always attached to a vowel except for the n ah. um but yeah it's uh yeah that's interesting so each each one of the letters you know it is a consonant vowel pair that's interesting yeah wait say that again so i can hear the oh kakikukeko. that's you know one of the letters yeah oh interesting yeah. Language is so cool. <laughs> Language is so cool. That's that's another one of my just, I don't know, just super curiosities and interests. Um, I got into uh, sort of learning about some endangered languages because, hmm. um, man, it's so crazy. There's like 7,000 languages in the world or something like that. There's just an insane number of languages. And some of them, um, there's a funny story. There's like one language... And this may be just the urban myth, but there's a language where there's only two speakers left of the language um, and they're like family, but they got into a fight and so they don't talk anymore. Oh no. <laughs> so now there's no speakers of the language. Wow. Um, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Family feuds. <laughs> um, Not like the fun kind that you see on TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's, so with going back to the beatboxing stuff, um, there is for people interested in the research, 
side of everything. Um, there is like prelim preliminary research happening. I mean, I think beatboxing can really be sort of integrated into a lot of evidence-based practices, but specifically with beatboxing, um, one of our collaborators um, in 2018 did a study. They just did another one recently, but those results haven't been um, kind of finalized yet. But in 2018, they took like 12 um, adults with uh, intellectual disabilities and like split them into like two groups. So it was a, a pretty like N of 12, it's a small study, but they, they tracked, they did a really thorough job of tracking a lot of variables that affected intelligibility. Um, so they had blind raters that measured the accuracy of a target sound. They had, they looked at, um, a bunch of vocal characteristics like loudness, vocal shimmer, harmonic to noise ratio, um, et cetera. And um, basically, in each of the intelligibility variables that they tracked, the, the beatboxing group, so they had one group that was just doing regular speech therapy and one group that did like group beatboxing therapy. And then they did like a you know language sample before and after. And they showed that in the beatboxing group, like all of the, even though both groups improved, the beatboxing group improved significantly more like across all of the variables that they tracked um so like obviously a lot more needs to be done to research it but um it's you know it's pretty cool cool that that something like this can be shown to be helpful and um at the same time uh pete is doing a they're working with some um, music therapists now to do a study about how how beatboxing can democratize access to music therapy and that like it you can um like you don't need any instruments right you don't need to like bring in drums you don't need to bring in guitars or mics or anything you just like can use your mouth so basically they want to you know do a study that just compares um like beatboxing to another uh another type of drum therapy um yeah. and see if they, they can get the same results that's so cool. Um, so yeah, the so first thing I was stuff. thinking about you when you're talking about the research around beatboxing specifically, like we know that singing will give the similar results. Cause again, we have that repetition we have, um, and with singing, you can back off the musical phrase a little bit. So if like twinkle, twinkle, little, I let you finish star. And the next time it's twinkle, twinkle, you get two words and we kind of work our way. And so what I'm thinking with beatboxing is it's probably like that times 10 because it's even more repetitive you know we don't yeah. have multiple music phrases to to learn or multiple words like we're doing the same repetition and if I as the clinician am doing it repetitively you can jump in whenever you don't have to wait for like the last word of the phrase or whatever it may be um and I'm also thinking that using the beatboxing sounds uh is probably way more generalizable than the random words that we can encourage people to sing in a preferred song. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a yeah. kid, if a kid loves frozen, um, there's only so many ways they can use the phrase, let it go <laughs> in their daily life. But if, you know, we're right. working on like the L and um, T and G, we'll say, let it yeah. go. Um, that is that way more generalizable. Yeah. Oh, interesting point. I had not even, I had not thought about that at all. Um, I guess, yeah, there are a couple of things that there are a couple of things that I think are advantageous about using just single phonemes. Um, uh, I guess one is that, yeah, it is more like you can put that into more combinations of different words and et cetera. Um, and it also helps with, um, phonological awareness and, um, uh, that whole literacy piece, which I think is huge and really, really important. Um, like in, in the alphabet curriculum that we have, the beatboxing curriculum, they, you know, they start with actual words like boots and cats, and then they take out the, you know, um, sounds in between to just have the phonemes. So, you know, you're making the, yeah, instead of boots and cats. So yeah, and they can see that, okay, this letter matches with this sound, <laughs> And, um, and yeah, so I think, I think that, that that's a, that's a really cool concept. I do think that it requires beatboxing requires 
um, you to generalize. And um, I don't know that beatboxing itself will, you know, it may have, may have an effect um, on intelligibility, just practicing certain patterns, but I think more likely, what's more likely to have a, a much more significant effect is if you are taking the sounds and then generalizing them to words. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like you're kind of going up the, the prompting hierarchy until, you know, you can use them properly in the context of conversation, let's say. So if someone has a unintelligible um, K or, you know, they're fronting, let's say, so they're always making a T instead of a K sound, but then they learn how to make the K when they're doing boots and cats, um, then you, you know, you can coach them up, uh, up the prompting hierarchy. So, okay, let's, let's start with the word cats. You know, you could do that. Or let's start with the K sound. And then let's put that into the beginning of cats, cats instead of tats. And then once they could do that, then you make a sentence out of it. And then you can make a, uh, you know, have them think about that in conversation. Like, oh, you know, you're making that, that awesome snare sound earlier. Like just put that snare sound in, in the, um, right there when you're saying cat. So, um, I think that that is also an uh, important step. Yeah. The music therapist in me is saying, and then you can, with their permission, record them beatboxing, loop that, and have them come up with a musical phrase using the words they need to work on. Oh, yes. Next song, level. And then they have a recording <laughs> of themselves and all the skills they've picked up on. Uh, that's where my creative so cool. minds just went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that. Uh, oh man, do you, are there places where like do you have like repositories of you know Tell songs me you that? Well, do you have places where like songs that kids have made are like do they do they ever share them or put them put them anywhere? Uh, I mean, so my kids are mostly in schools, so I can't share anything without right, their permission. Right, right, right. That's but, totally HIPAA stuff. Yeah, but. yeah, HIPAA. We, we follow HIPAA over here. Um, but <laughs> I do, I have a huge, on a flash drive, a huge library of songs that my kids have created. And, you know, some of them, it's I send them to mom and dad after and like they listen to it in the car. Um, That's so and then cool. we get that repetition on their own when they get to do it and it's fun and mom and dad see what's happening and they're involved. Uh, and suddenly they're beatboxing to a song on the radio because they have those skills. So, yeah. But if yes. there was a way, there are other people I'm sure who with client permission have shared some of the creations that they've made in session. Um, there are so many times that I wish I could share the amazing things my kids come up with, but you know, that's, this is not the time or place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I guess what I was just thinking about is, um, so I'm also like, I do music production and mm -hmm. um, uh, there are a bunch of platforms out now where you like one is called splice. My friend was part of building up, but it's this huge, you know, you can do um, you can work on music projects together with people. You can remix other people's projects. Um, it's just, just this big like sharing community. Um, and just for this, I don't know, creative soup that you can make with a bunch of other people. Um, I just think that'd be such a cool, uh, interactive and engaging way for kids to start making more stuff and, and working on these skills at the same time. Yeah. I yeah. use band lab. Uh, I use the band lab for cool. education program because again, in schools. And it. so it's similar to that. It's kind of like if anyone's familiar with garage band or what's the other one, alpha beats was coming to my mind, but that's not what I'm thinking of. <laughs> what's the other online version of garage band? It begins with an a auto. Something? Um, oh, oh, I have oh, audacity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that's I, not what I'm thinking of, but band lab is like that plus Google classroom. So the same thing, like cool. you can share with kids and then like, they can work on it. Or like I, as a teacher can put like something in like, oh, this is the thing we did together. Boom. It's in your song. You have to build the next layer or whatever. Um, that's, so awesome. that's kind of what you're thinking of. That sounds like, yeah, I, I mean, they stole my idea before I had it. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just you kidding. You can do it better. Do it your own no, way. Yeah. No, that's that's so cool. I'm glad that that's out there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know that existed. That's so, yeah, amazing what, um, what we have now uh, available. 
Sure. Are there any other tools that you tend to use? Um, the other one, so these are like things I discovered during COVID. Band Lab was one because my kids didn't have garage bands, but I could get them into Band Lab. Um, the other one was Chrome Music Lab. And you as a speech therapist might really like that. There's a whole different array of things you can do. You can make beats, you can make melody, you can do a combination, but there's one where you can record yourself and then change like the speed and pitch of it. Um, uh, cool. And then there's another yeah. one, a spectrograph where you can see what your voice sounds like on a spectrograph. So, whoa, okay. We, so the spectrograph is on Chrome Music Lab. Yeah. Yeah, and I will link that in the show notes for everybody who's listening too. Um, yeah, those are those are the two resources that I've used the most as far as like tech. Because um, we use spectrographs too, um, especially since a lot of when you're making certain sounds, um, you can't see what's going on in the mouth. You know, yeah. um, like the R, the R is a really hard one, um, and so if you can't like imitate something exactly, sometimes it's. Uh, you know, they'll use a spectrograph to say, okay, here, like, check this out. When you change the sound this way, here's what changes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Chrome Music Love Lab. resource share. <laughs> so you mentioned part of the curriculum, the Alphabet curriculum. Tell us more about like where it starts, where it goes. What does that look like? Sure. Yeah. Um, so basically uh, we have you know, the initial lesson where you're, you learn how to beatbox, it's, it's really simple. Like I always have to stress because a lot of, I mean, um, I'm sure music therapists, they, they're, they'll pick it up so quick because they're like, music, we got this. But a lot of speech therapists, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah. But if you can, if you can say the alphabet, you can beatbox easily. Um, it's, um, you know, as simple as saying boots and cats. So uh, we start out with the first lesson it's for, um, you know, aimed at the kids um, in that it has, uh, you know, the graphics and everything are um, kid friendly. They um, there's we have three different hosts. Um, one of the uh, so I guess each one of the hosts has um, different sounds that they go over. So we go over most of the English phonemes or English consonants um, uh, and kind of made beatbox sounds that people use out of them. And there's slightly different patterns for each lesson. So there's 10 different lessons. Um, there's a lot of uh, ways that you can slightly change the sounds so that they, you know, you can, um, for example, if you're working on um, the F sound, we like we have a V, we have a V sound, but if you just, you know, if you turn off your voice your voice box and you can make the f so you can just change the pattern to make the f or the v um so we have most of the sounds represented there's a, a couple that aren't um each lesson has uh like the host showing you how to beatbox the pattern um with words and then with uh just the the phonemes and they show it from you know the frontal view where it's like a, a close-up of the mouth um, and then they have a side view, um, and then they have, you know, the host saying, hey, let's, let's do it together. Uh, and so there's these practice um, kind of components built in. Each lesson contains um, uh, practice loops, as well as like a score uh, or like a, a musical track. So I've, I've composed and made all the uh, music for the, for Alphabet. So um, you can practice the beatboxing pattern that's attached to the lesson in the context of a song. Um, and so we have um, kind of mostly just been in, in like a soft launch beta testing phase up until now, but we had about a hundred users and just a ton of really cool people that um, are like, man, I, my kid was totally hated speech therapy but now they're like practicing all the time you know now my kid doesn't need an ip um a lot of really cool stories that uh from just you know teaching these these kids how to beatbox and, and getting that this like you know really cool technology into their hands i suppose yeah 
well, and the music therapist in me is like, of course it's music. Everybody loves it, which is not true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome to see uh, like you take it and turn it to exactly what you need in your profession and to see all that success must be so rewarding. I guess my question for you would be, how would you see this in a music therapy context? Like, mm. what are the, what are the goals that you are, you know, typically working from um, when you're, when you're doing music therapy? Yeah. And how so, might this tie in? Uh, everything you're doing would exactly tie into how we're doing it. We just would have the music versus the speech. Mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> that makes mm-hmm. sense. So most depends on who you ask. Most music therapists would say we work on non-musical goals. So we're working on speech, we're working on cognition, we're working on physical, we're working on social, all that good stuff. So I, as a person who works on lots of IEP teams, will often gravitate towards the speech goal that's already there um, because I'm not as likely to, I could work on math and all that kind of stuff, but I would gravitate towards the speech goal. And if it's applicable enough, I would even say, hey, can you just list me there instead of me having a separate music therapy goal? Because I feel like what I'd be working on would be basically the same thing. And we'd be mm-hmm. collecting the same data from different mm-hmm. places. So the I think the, the big answer is we'd be working on the exact same things. Um, and as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, when I was an undergrad, we had to take a vocal like a vocal proficiency class, basically, you know, because some of us are not vocal majors. And the teacher I had for that class was doing her research in vocal care. And one of the things she was really honing in on was the fact that when kids try to sing like adults, it's very damaging for their vocal cords, because their vocals are still very like, squishy and wobbly and forming. And if they push them too far, they could hurt themselves. And in my limited knowledge, beatboxing, I think, would be a lot less straining on the voice. So instead of needing to rely on singing as our music therapy tool to work on speech, we could translate it to beatboxing uh, and just have that tool in our toolbox instead. So we're not overworking their voices or encouraging them to do so. Does that that's so cool. Question? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that, yeah, that's I'm, I'm so glad that this has application too. Um, 110%. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I just see so many possibilities and opportunities and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm basically, I feel like basically a music, you know, music therapist at heart, you know, (laughs) just welcome to the team happen, happen to be, you know, in speech and all this stuff is, I think really, um, under, underexplored. Mm. um yeah yeah I just think that we're just starting to make these connections that hey music is actually this really functional um technology that that has served purposes throughout history and you know maybe it's not just for entertainment you know (laughs) like there's and I mean entertainment's great too like that's important that has its place there and you know you know it has, you know, stimulates creativity and, you know, all these different things. So yeah, social cohesion, I can go on and on, but yeah. Yeah. I always like to give myself the reminder that in cultural, let me try again, in cultures separate from our own, or I'll say from my own, if I were to introduce myself as a music therapist, people would say, what the heck is that? Because music is so ingrained into their culture to begin with. They don't need to make it sciencey and like, you know, it has not been removed. They already see the value in music. It's part of their daily lives to begin with. So someone like me would not have a job uh, where we are the people who are infusing it back into our Western lives saying, this is important. We have forgotten this is important. And the only way we can prove that and convince you is by showing you, you know, all the science behind it. Cause that's, that's where, um, yeah, most people gravitate towards. So, but just like you're saying it, it, it's both it's yes, it exists in cultures other than our own. It has existed since the dawn of time for all these functional reasons. And now we have the science to say, this is actually what's happening and why. So 
I aside love that you have some music therapists that you guys are working with because I'm sure they are learning so much from you and you are learning so much from them and the resource that you're creating is going to be just so what's the word I'm looking for so impactful based on all the knowledge that has gone into creating it Ah, I hope so yeah I mean it's so it is so cool like learning um there, there needs to be more just collaboration in general yes so yeah. So again, thank you. Thank you for, for having me on. Yeah. Here we are collaborating. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. This. Um, do you have anything else you want to get into before the rapid fire? Let's, let's do the rapid fire. Before it. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC, where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self-study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website, musictherapychronicles.com, and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website, mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase. All right. The first one is coffee or tea? Coffee. I'm, I'm really particular. I drink mushroom coffee every morning. I don't know if you've had that, the Four Sigmatic stuff. Um, I've heard of it, but I'm not a coffee drinker, so it doesn't really uh, appeal okay. to me. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it, I feel like I get the extra extra jolt. I don't know. Mushrooms do are like also an under tapped. Um, there's not enough research on mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> we'll say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I watched Fantastic Fungi recently. Have you seen that on Netflix? The yep. crazy network under the yep. forest. I was just totally blown away. Yeah, I read uh, Hidden Life of Trees many years ago, yeah. and it, it basically talks about that. And then I don't know if you are familiar with Shinrin Yoku, probably because you're in yeah, Japan. Yeah, and I yeah. probably Forest said bathing. that completely. Yeah, I like, no, completely that was really good. Like, that was really good. Um, yeah, but like those kinds of things together. Um, again, something that other cultures see, recognize, value, and that we're like, oh, maybe I should go touch the earth at some point, you know, like. We don't get it over here. We don't get it. (laughs) All right. Early bird or night owl? Well, now that I'm jet lagged, I'm a super early bird getting up at like five. (laughs) I think I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I was always a night owl up until like up through grad school. And then um, when I started working in the schools, I think I just by necessity, I had to wake up early. And then ever since, essentially, my my clock is just like, I can't sleep in anymore, like past a certain time. It's just like my body won't let me. So um, yeah, early bird. Early bird, especially today. <laughs> yeah, especially today. <laughs> Something you tell your younger self. Um. Oh, trite, but everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, just 100% was extremely anxious. Oh, you know, growing up all the way through school, even now, like, uh, but yeah, so many things I worried about that didn't end up needing to worry about, so. 
That's it. My dad always said growing up that guilt and worry are useless emotions unless they work in my favor. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, I feel like in some ways it's it's like problematic because when I worry about something and then it actually happens and I'm like, see, I should have been worrying about that. Like, my friend, But probably wouldn't have helped. If I, you know. Nah, doesn't prevent it. Doesn't really prepare yeah. you for it. Totally. But it is the human emotion. We all gotta, we all experience it. No shame yep. in that. Yeah. All right. So usually I ask people their music therapy elevator speech. So I'm curious, will you give us your SLP elevator speech and then tell us what you think music therapy is? Oh man, that's a, that's a big uh, claim. Well, I, I guess, um, so SLP elevator speech, um, this is for like people that don't know uh, yeah, just like in case. what speech therapy is. Yeah. Um, well, uh, as a speech language pathologist, we, we help with pathologies of communication, wherever that is. So that just means that whenever there's, um, uh, either because of physiology or, um, well, this is not becoming an elevator speech now. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> um, whether it's because of, you know, some problems in how you talk and how you make sounds or in how you interact with others or in how you um, understand or make language. Uh, we can help with, um, help you communicate uh, so that um, your wants and needs can be met. What do you think oh, and music therapy, therapy. <laughs> Um, so music therapy is, um, it is a, so it's a practice of using, um, using our, you know, our favorite technology music, uh, infusing it, you know, back into society, uh, yeah. where it's supposed to be and, <laughs> um, it, to help with areas of, of need like cognition, um, uh, social, um, social skills and coordination. Uh, so it's kind of like a multidisciplinary, uh, technology. Wow. Um, sorry, the jet lag's really getting to me. <laughs> No, you're good. I, I think that's wonderful. I love asking non-music therapists that question because it helps us as music therapists understand where we are improperly or properly representing ourselves um, yeah. so that we can better inform others. Does that make sense? It reflects sure. to us what we're not doing well enough yet that we need to better inform people about. Um, so the, so it wasn't I guess, to put you on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. for us. For, so practically what I've seen uh, in as in my experience in the schools is that a music therapist is someone who's sort of like, um, a sixth man in that, like, uh, they can float across all of the different IEP goals, um, kind of depending on the kid, but help, um, to help to get the kid engaged in, um, a lot of their different therapies through music uh so they're, they're kind of helping across if, i guess like i said before across disciplines um yeah using music is that is yeah. that like kind of yeah so this this is a great reflection because a lot of what we say because this is what amta the american music therapy association they say we use music to work on non-musical goals which is exactly okay. what you said, but you said it in a way that a layman person would understand. Oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I am because, because some of the non-musical goals, like what the heck is that? Like my, my job is not to teach a person music. My job is to work on all those other things. Right. right. Um, and so you've said right. that in a way that if I was talking to a parent, I feel like they would understand that better for me to be like, I'm working on all of these other areas that they're also working on. And music is my tool. Yep. Music is the medium. Yes. 
Music yeah. is the medium. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Your favorite self-care practice. Oh, uh, well, surfing probably. Um, although I can't do it now, <laughs> but yeah, when, when I was, so I was in LA and that was my, that was my like morning practice, jumping in the ocean, kind of like Shinun Yoku, getting that, you know, getting that nature in. Yeah. Yeah. And the ocean is so healing on its own. Totally. Yeah. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Oh, um, something that's adding a lot of value to my life. Well, um, you know, there is this, uh, this T right here. Oh, you can't see it. Oh, it's blurring out because of Zoom. <laughs> yeah, because of Zoom. Um, but it is called Mugicha and it's just like a barley tea. Um, Can you spell that for me? Yeah, M-U-G-I-C-H-A. It's like a really like think of Japanese summer when I like drink mugicha, mm. but it's like just a cold tea, um, like barley tea, and it's such a great replacement for sweet sugary drinks or too much because it doesn't have caffeine either. So like I just tend to drink too much caffeine and so like it's been great for me to just have movie cha instead yeah i'll <laughs> yeah. see if i can find any of that in the states i think they got it go yeah. to like a japan town or something we'll have it here in rural new england we definitely have that <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah maybe not <laughs> you can get it on amazon though yeah um, probably yeah <laughs> thank you all right uh, usually I ask people their favorite song or intervention to use. I'm going to assume yours is alpha V, but tell us like your next favorite tool to use when you're working with people. Sure. Um, so is it, does that for me music, music related? No, um, I should have said that. Well, actually I have been using, just thinking about like, you know, what are, different things to do in speech because after a while you just get a little you know once you do a thousand speech sessions you're like I just want to do something new <laughs> um so I was using this uh there's something called scratch it's like a programming language for kids um but I was doing a couple sessions where um I was just using scratch as a way to work on directions and um flexibility uh, for a couple of kids and yeah it worked out it worked out really well and you could do music stuff on there too um like create like sounds uh, match them in buttons yeah I think mostly I've figured out how to I'm, I'm sure you do the same but like you sort of bring bring what you like to do and then integrate you know the goals into something that you like to do already. So I've definitely used like Ableton or um, like a DAW and we've done like a little music making session together. So um, just kind of that, that uh, aspect of, oh, if this is interesting to me, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to be more excited about the speech session and, and help more, so. Yeah. 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 When we're engaged and that's that relationship piece, right? Like if we're engaged and excited, then the client is like, oh, this is a cool thing. Cause they're engaged and excited. And you have that like mutual trust that if it's cool for them, it'll totally. probably be cool to me too. And I should try it out. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Love that. I'll have to check that out. Cause it sounds very applicable. Yeah. All right. Last question. Where can the listeners right. find you and connect with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram at, uh, at Goyama, G-O-Y-A-M-A. Um, and feel free to reach out if, um, would love to do more collaboration with, um, anyone, anybody, and they, uh, are changing 
the name of Alphabet. So that will eventually be something different. Um, likely Boots and Cats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, right now you can um, you can still get it uh, at tryalphabet.com. Um, and that will end up redirecting to the tool anyway. So if you want to test it out, um, there's a like couple week free trial and just see if you like it and work some therapy and yeah. Yeah. Especially because this will be out just after school starts. Oh, so sweet. It'll be a great resource for people. Well, I guess some schools have already started back where we are, but some of them don't start for another couple weeks. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, thank you for making the time and getting up. And I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I can't wait to see what else you come up with, your team comes up with and, you know, where this all takes you because you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It was so, so nice to meet you, Trisha. Um, and great to, great to connect and hopefully, yeah, can continue collaborating in the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self-care community, and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one.